Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devontae Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins' official podcast network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is Tuesday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we continue our off-season preview series, taking a look at the front seven. It is part three. We've covered the offensive side of the football in the previous two podcasts here on Drive Time. We'll break down the incumbents on the roster, review the pending free agents, both internal and external, and talk all things draft on the defensive line and at the linebacker position. All of that and more on this Tuesday, March the 2nd edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Miami Dolphins. So on Friday, we had a podcast with Dolphins defensive end Emmanuel Ogba, and that was a great, great addition here of Drive Time. He gave us plenty of insight into his off-season training regimen, what he's doing this off-season for fun in his leisure time. But to me, the best part of that podcast was breaking down some film and breaking down some technical aspects of the art of the pass rush with Emmanuel Ogba, who of course had nine sacks last season to lead the Miami Dolphins. If you have not checked out that podcast, make sure you do that. And also, if you haven't done so and you're new to the podcast here. We did the quarterbacks, running backs, and receivers a couple of weeks ago. And last week on the Tuesday edition of Drive Time, we looked at the offensive line and the tight end position. So today we'll talk about defense, but go back and check out the pause if you are new here to Drive Time. Subscribe, rate, review the podcast, all that fun stuff for us. But we have some bonus content here from that interview with Emmanuel Ogba, who is done so much both on the field here for the Dolphins and also in the community in South Florida. And now Emmanuel is contributing to Kids Meals, Inc. in his hometown of Houston, Texas. And of course, the people of Houston have been dealing with a lot the last few weeks with a loss of power to their homes. So I want to just go ahead and play some audio from that interview where Emmanuel told me and us about his hometown and giving back to his community. So here is Emmanuel Ogba once again. I've got Dolphins defensive end Emmanuel Ogba here on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Emmanuel, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing, Travis? I'm good. It's it's good to talk to you again. And I, you know, I wanted to get you back on here because we talked football last week, but now we've got something even more important to talk about here. Your contributions back to your hometown of Houston, Texas, and Kids Meals Inc. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Emmanuel? You know, Houston's always been a place in my heart. Houston brought Houston took me and my family in when I was nine years old, so. Uh, whichever way I can help out, you know, get a donation or what I can do, I wanted to do is, you know, just to help the people of Houston since they took me in at such a young age. Uh, but, yeah, um, um, we decided to, you know, donate to this Kids Meal Inc. and group. And we're, we're trying to feed a bunch of kids, you know, since the power outage in um, Houston. So we're trying to, um, trying to put money towards, you know, repairing the fridge that was packed up and just to feed, to feed the kids, you know, just to help out as much as we can. And you said you came to Houston at nine years old? Yeah. Yeah, I came to the United States when I was nine years old. We moved to Houston, Texas. Yeah, man, that's that's awesome to hear and, and good on you and UNX for doing that. Have you had a chance to get back to Houston at all this off season? I know like training was, or, you know, this past season with, with the pandemic and travel and everything was difficult. Have you had a chance to get back to Houston to see some family? Yeah, that was the that's kind of the first trips I took, you know, just to go home and see my family. Uh, it was rough during the season because I really couldn't see them that much because, uh, you know, the whole COVID situation is still going on. 
But uh, yeah, I got a chance, you know, spend time with them, you know, you know, talk about the the season, you know, and just you know see how they were all doing throughout the whole pandemic. But you know, everybody's doing good, and I'm just I was just happy to see them again. Are you? Are they looking forward to getting a chance to come back to your some of your games next season? Oh yeah, they can't wait because yeah. my my parents usually come to my games, so I know they can't wait to you know get that ball rolling again. We're we're either in Houston or playing Houston here next year. I can't remember which one it is, but either way, your hometown team and to get a chance to score off against those guys again uh, in 2021. Um, that's all I got for you today, Manuel. Appreciate your time and uh, you know best of luck this season and awesome awesome news about, about the donation to the to the kids and getting kids fed out there in Houston. I know you know your hometown's going through a tough time right now, so good on you, man, and uh, we appreciate it. Appreciate you, Travis. Thanks for having me. You know we always hear Coach Flores talk about bringing in the right people and having the right people in the organization. And Emmanuel Ogba just exemplifies that both with his play on the field, but also of course with what he does away from the football field, just a really, really special person, really fun person to talk to here on the podcast and and did a great interview as well too. So good on Emmanuel Ogba, kids meals, Inc down in Houston, Texas. And you of course can get involved really in any of these programs. That's the beauty of the modern internet day age is that we can go online and find these different causes to to go ahead and donate to. So I have it up on my timeline, the Kids Meals Inc. Uh, tweet uh, with Emmanuel Ogba. I know you can find that, donate if you like. Of course, there's plenty of programs in South Florida as well. Wherever you come from, make sure you, uh, you look into some of that stuff and see what you can do. And any amount helps, of course, during these challenging times. So Emmanuel Ogba, appreciate him once again. Let's go ahead and spin this thing forward and get into the football talk on this Tuesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. And we are going to talk about the strength of the club in 2020. That's right, that stingy, stingy Dolphins defense. And I remember during training camp last year, writing up preview items like the training camp preview pieces, for instance, and just really raving about the defense we have from a potential standpoint, a top-end standpoint, starter talent and depth of the defense. All those areas I thought were strong going into the year, and that proved to be the case uh, from, from you know week one on pretty much for this Dolphins defense. So I just looked at each spot on this Dolphins defense and really considered most of the defense to be two or even three players deep at a lot of positions in a lot of ways. And before we get any further, just a quick disclaimer here. These thoughts provided in this uh, particular section of the Drive Time podcast are my own thoughts. They do not reflect the opinion of the Miami Dolphins. So most of that group up front is back. Now, Promising youngsters that showed some bite in year one are heading into that sophomore campaign, the second year on campus where you know where all your classes are, where the the best parking spots are, where your click hangs out, you know the lay of the land, which makes doing the homework all the easier, right? You know, all these high school metaphors here. And we'll talk about one of those guys today in Raekwon Davis, as well as hit on Brandon Jones on the defensive backs preview. But today you better buckle up because we're covering three position groups and frankly, most of the guys in this block They all play several different positions, so really, I couldn't justify breaking them up. We're talking about interior defensive line, edge defenders, and off-ball linebackers. But you see, even that distinction runs into some serious issues with this team because, for instance, take Kyle Van Noy. Calling him an off-ball linebacker, that's shortchanging what he is and who he is and, and what he does for this defense. Calling him an edge defender, same story. So while position definition is getting harder and harder in the scouting community and even more so with this defense, this multiple front coverage looks defense will go interior edge 
and off ball. We'll take that route for the position designations. And we start on the interior and we did a podcast on this group about a month ago that, where I had uh, the father of Zach Sealer, Randy Sealer on the podcast. And my fascination with the makeup of that position group on the interior defensive line. Now, However you want to term this, some use club control. That's more of a baseball term in my opinion. I prefer under contract, but the Dolphins are in great shape at this position from a cost control, production, age, trajectory, you name it, all of those, they're in a great position from those standpoints. First, Devon Godshaw is the only scheduled free agent from our interior defensive line group. Drafted in the fifth round in 2017, Godshaw is entering his fifth NFL season, and he will be an unrestricted free agent when the new league year kicks off later this month. Just a couple of weeks away now from free agency beginning. But the aforementioned group is all here, and they're here beyond the 2021 season as far as their contracts are concerned. Christian Wilkins signed through 2022 with that fifth-year option for 2023. Zach Sealer signed through 2023 with the extension that he received last November. Raekwon Davis signed through 2023 as well on that rookie contract. And according to SpotRack, those players rank 30th, Wilkins, 31st, Sealer, and 55th, Davis, among defensive tackles and APY, average salary per year. And the production, well, it ranks better than that. Before we get into that, what's even better... All of them play all over the defensive line. I've got reps where Christian Wilkins locks out against a double team, drops that knee, and holds the anchor from the nose tackle. In that same game, you'll see him kick out to a five technique and win on a twist as a pass rusher with that explosive first step. And Zach Sealer's biggest play of the year for my money was the fourth down stop in Arizona. That play comes from the three tech position, which is on the outside shoulder of the offensive guard but he can also play head up over the guard, a two technique, kick inside over the nose, which is the zero technique, head up over the center, and even kick outside and rush as a true defensive end that way as well. I've got reps with him as a five tech where he converts speed to power and you get that kind of, as I like to call it, Let's be real, it's an oh shit moment from the offensive tackle that he has to absorb not just 300 pounds, but the length with that long arm that can shock him and get those hands kind of discombobulated and force him to reset. And then he lays into the, the offensive tackle with the weight into that pass rush. He is a lot to handle, just an absolute load at every position he plays. And then Raekwon Davis, same deal, man. And this is why the Dolphins can go to so many different fronts and rotate What's kind of a short bench in a way to keep everybody fresh because you can just, hey, we need a three technique. Well, I've got four guys that can do that and do it well so we can rotate these guys and keep them healthy. You don't have to have a backup for each spot on the defensive line because you can have two positions that you play frequently on the defense and you've got three guys to do it. So it's like a pitch count that is determined by the game plan and Raekwon did some of his best work as the nose tackle. But as you might recall that video of Brian Flores on draft day where he's showing the long arm, the lockout, toss aside, essentially the old stack and shed routine, Raekwon Davis's tape is full of that. It's what Brian Flores probably saw in his tape on, in college because he did it too at Alabama. And what play was I watching the other day? I think it was the one when I was reviewing Ogba's sack reel. You know what? Let's go ahead and be sure so you guys can go check it out yourself. One sec. All right, and I'm back. That's the beauty of podcasting. You can pause and come right back. It was Ogba's first sack in the week six game against the Jets. 13.05 to go in the third quarter. You've got Raekwon Davis as the one technique shaded off the outside shoulder of the center. And he shoots his hands, gets walk back where the center has to retreat a few steps, and then goes to shed. And as he does it, you see the center turn 90 degrees as he gets turned by Davis. Just sheer power in those hands, in those arms, in the upper body. 
playing from the lower body base to get that power up into the upper body. And let's not forget about Benito Jones either. Played 48 snaps last year, not a big workload by any means, but you saw some of that squatty body power that he has that had a lot of draft pundits really forecasting a mid to late round draft grade for him last season. The Dolphins scoop him up as a UDFA, undrafted free agent, and you can see some of that power and anchor from the six foot one, 316 pound Jones as well. So you take a look at this group and you ask, what exactly do they need here? You've got a combined 1,757 snaps last year. Wilkins played 637, Davis played 539, Sealer 533, and of course Jones with those 48 we just mentioned. For a group that at most has three bodies on the field at one time, we've seen, we've seen them go with that bare front where you cover up the guard, center guard, or you go even wider than that and you have a, a five tech, a three tech, and a nose tackle, and these three guys can fill those roles. So the most you're going to get on the field from this group is three players at once, and then anytime you go sub package from that, those can traditionally be the first guys off the field, which makes sense, right? Third and long, if it's third and 12, we're going to put defensive backs onto the field, go dime or half dollar or dollar defense. You usually subtract the defensive tackles off the field first, linebackers come in there as well, and then defensive ends and, and you get the idea. And I'm never one to discourage the idea of adding talent and building on strength, which this is absolutely a strength of the roster in my opinion. But I look at this group as one of the strongest parts of the roster in general. Maybe you add to that arsenal. Maybe you plop in another 330 pounder like Davis who can just give you more size and really play that nose tackle. But man, this group is good. And I think we only scratched the surface on that in 2020. So what does the market look like out there? First, from the pro football focus, top 150 free agents, pff.com. Number 19, Leonard Williams, played with the Jets for a while, then the Giants, you guys know who he is. He's really put together those traits that made him the sixth pick in the draft not that long ago, consistent against the run, ranks in the 86th percentile against the run via pro football focus since he entered the league in 2015. You couple that with 11 and a half sacks this year, he's really the bell of the ball and also in that mold of the Wilkins and the Sealers of the world that he can play any position up front. Then you go to number 40 on their list, another interior defensive lineman, Dalvin Tomlinson, his teammate there in New York, has a wrestling background. We saw that during the Senior Bowl coverage when he was in the draft a few years back. He's taken that over to the Giants and had a productive career there. And it's always attractive for me to have these wrestling backgrounds in this position. Zach Sealer was also a wrestler in his high school days because you're basically in a 60-minute wrestling match with the guy across from you. He's a stalwart against the run and came off the field in some pass rush situations there for the Giants, but a beast of a run defender. 47, Shelby Harris, one of the more underrated players in the league, in my opinion. He's got a great get-off, plays low, has position versatility, and is probably the best pass rusher of this potential crop on the free agent on the interior defensive line. He's a high-volume pressure and quarterback hit guy. Had a career-high six sacks last year, or in 2019, rather, with two and a half last year, but also had 11 quarterback hits in PF, on pro football reference. So you see the kind of sack and quarterback hit production has been consistent throughout his career. Then there's a big drop on the list. Number 100 is Ndamukong Sue. And just his greatest strength is his endurance and durability. Played 788 snaps last year, which is a ton for that position. We just told you about Wilkins' high snap count, 637. And that was the lowest snap total of his career and the 11th most snaps among interior defensive linemen in 2020. Just completely absurd. PFF had him with 50 quarterback pressures and 25 run stops 
So yeah, he can still play too. And right behind him on that list on PFF's top 150 is Sheldon Rankins at 101. The only real knock on Rankins has been his availability, but goodness, he can play when he's healthy. He's more in the mold of a run stopper than pass rusher, but he could also be one of those buy low, high reward type of guys, a la Eric Rowe a couple years back, who had similar you know misfortunes in his career with injuries. But look at him now, one of the top 10 strong safeties in the NFL without question, in my opinion, his second year last year in Miami. Not Rankins in particular, but what Rankins represents really holds a lot of intrigue to me this offseason. Acquiring talent and letting it play out such is just such a great approach because of the risk-reward factor, especially when you consider the teaching and coaching guys are getting here in Miami. Maybe Rankins does sign a big deal somewhere. You never know, but I thought it was a good time to get that thought in that these guys that for one reason or another in their past haven't lived up to the the overall potential and ability that they have because of injuries or other factors, those are the guys that really hold some entry because you can maybe, maybe, maybe buy low and get high reward out of that. Number 106 on this list, K1 Short from the Panthers. He was cut recently and could be the same deal here. Played just 199 snaps the last two years, had a big cap figure and was cut by the Panthers. He was in that Aaron Donald Fletcher Cox territory when he was last playing considerable reps in 2017 and 2018 when he was PFF's fourth highest graded interior defensive lineman over that span the other with with Donald and Cox being the top two and Damon Harrison being the third. Now also remember he was released so he does not factor into the compensatory pick formula. He is 32 years old. And it looks like PFF has extended the list here beyond 150 because checking in at 151 is Derek Wolf who had a career best 85.3 run defending grade in 2020 his age 30 season. So that's the veteran top 150 list on PFF. And remember that some of these guys are classified differently. So we'll cover any players left out because of their DN designation here in this next group. But first, let's go ahead and check on the interior defensive line draft class really quickly. And one thing you kind of look for at a position group like this is the difference in body build and makeup and, and composition of how these guys can play because you've got so many guys in that 300, 310 pound range, which is typical of a defensive tackle, but you've also got your 360 pounders. For instance, Tyler Shelvin out of LSU, number 80 on the draft network's overall big board. He's number one, two, three, four, five, six on the interior defensive line, a red shirt junior, six foot three, 362 pounds, and you probably can guess how he plays his game based upon that size. He is an immovable object that you can plop in the middle of that defense and just get take on double teams and let linebackers flow behind him and make plays an absolute monster on the interior. Now, the Draft Network has Christian Barmore out of Alabama as their top-rated interior defensive lineman. He's number 34 overall. He had a hell of a national championship game against Ohio State. Just an absolute bully up there. One of those Alabama freaks on the defensive line. You get these guys every single year. Christian Barmore is the next one. Tommy Togiai had an outstanding year for the aforementioned Buckeyes. 300-pounder, number 41, uh, overall number two on the interior defensive lineman here for the draft network. Number 47 overall is Levi Onwuzarike. Boom, nailed that one out of Washington. And you watch this guy, the... The hip toss move that he does on that defensive line where he gets guys off balance and then just chucks them. He is so, so strong and can get absolute push in the running game or in the passing game rather and hold him point against the run as well. A very impressive player out of Washington and one of these guys that can give you just a lot of pass rush on that interior defensive line spot. And then staying in the Pac-12 with USC's Jay Tufele. 
one of these versatile type of guys that can play every position on your defensive line. He offers that versatility in spades. Number 61 on their list. Number 78, Davion Nixon out of Iowa. He's got some great tape as well. Some some stuff where he just really gets absolute penetration and gets knocked back on in the running game. So a lot of these guys have that power and force to play low and to get knocked back both against the pass and the run. Tyler Shelvin, we talked about him, number 80. And then back to USC on this list here for number 81, Marlon Tui Pelotu out of USC, 308 pounds, six foot two, redshirt junior. Number 104, Osa Odiwuza out of UCLA, Southern California. These uh, these kids with the tough to pronounce names, we're knocking them out here on the Drive Time podcast. But he's kind of got that same mold where he can play low, he can play explosive, just 280 pounds, so he really relies on that pad level and that quick burst off the line of scrimmage. Darius Stills out of West Virginia. Haven't got a chance to look at his tape that clo- that closely. I know a lot of folks like him. And then Marvin Wilson, 124 out of Florida State. He's a popular name in All-American preseason going into this year. Number 124 on their list. And there's a big gap from him to the next player, 171 overall. And then they've got Aleem McNeil at 179, just behind Jalen Twyman out of Pittsburgh. But McNeil out of NC State, 315 pounds, space eater, powerful player, has that low pad level once again that really get under offensive linemen and to kind of stand them up and then play that two gap where he can stack and shed from there. So plenty of guys that fit the idea of what you want. It's just going to be what the Dolphins make a decision on. What do they want on this defensive line? Because it's deep, it's good, it's young. They've got cost control for, for the next couple of years at that position. How do they want to attack that? All right, let's go ahead and spin this thing to the outside now and talk about the pass rushers off the edge because we talked to Emmanuel Ogba on the Friday podcast as well as today, and that's where we're going to start with this position group. Emmanuel Ogba's nine sacks last year led the Miami Dolphins. But we know that playing the edge position in this defense is graded a lot more than just by the sacks you acquire and a lot more than just the pass rush statistics we've covered on this podcast. And it starts there with Emmanuel Ogba. And really, what else do we have to say? I mean, he broke it down for you on the Friday edition of Drive Time. Multiple positions, effective pass rusher in one-on-one situations. Do not leave him against a tight end one-on-one or you will pay. But he also can slant in and dent the edge as a run defender. He can hold a strong edge. He can condense inside and throw a bull rush on a guard or hold the point against the run and the master of getting guys off balance and chucking them with those long, heavy hands, long arms and heavy hands. Big play after big play all season long. Xavier Howard won the team MVP award. I think my runner-up might have been Emmanuel Ogba in that category. Now, on the other side, you saw the ideal build of a defensive end in this defense with the importing of both Ogba and Shaq Lawson. Lawson is a consistent force making plays against the run. Consistent tackle for loss guy. Doesn't offer a soft edge, barely ever. Always a good job turning things back inside. He also gives you pass rush too. And not just pass rush, but the element of pass rush we covered with Ogba on Friday where we talked about gap integrity. These guys don't just blow past the tackle and pass the quarterback and right out of the play turning it into 10 on 11, they really work to stay in their gap and allow the linebackers behind them to execute the many games and many blitzes that flow and Boyer dial up. Speaking of ideal build, Jason Strobridge is in that mold as well at 273. Flores' first comments about Strobridge when he was drafted was about his inside-outside versatility, and we saw him really kick some ass in the Senior Bowl last February. He had a tackle for loss this year on a nice inside move in that Chargers game. 
And I'm really curious and excited to watch him and keep a close eye on number 58 at training camp this year and see how that progress goes from year one to year two for the Deerfield Beach native. In that rookie class, also a undrafted free agent, Tyson Render. He's not quite as heavy as the other guys checking in at 248 pounds, but the effort was the name of the game for him in college. Coaches at Middle Tennessee State raved about how they could use his tape consistently as teaching tape in their meetings and film room studies uh, just for the effort alone. So he has kind of a developmental rookie season, spending most of his time on the practice squad, but he did get one game under his belt this year for Miami. And rounding out the position group here is Nick Coe, who was back on a futures contract. He spent most of the year as well on the practice squad. And wouldn't you know it, six foot five, 291 pounds, so even bigger than those guys and spends most of his time on the inside, or at least he did in college. And these big guys up front do so much dirty work to help funnel and create plays for guys like Van Noy, for Bake, for Gink, etc. Coe is a big, powerful player with the long arms and heavy hands to help execute the idea of that two-gap to push the pocket and keep yourself clean so you can shed when the play comes your way but that length really allows him to squat, press, and extend and play good football. As for the free agent market at the position, a bunch of names on this list you guys are going to recognize. Number 14 on PFF's top 150 free agents is Shaq Barrett. Absolute explosion of production the last couple of years. PFF has him in the green grade territory, which is above average, each of his first five years as a pro against both the run and the pass. It'll be interesting to see if he makes it to the market because the Bucks have a lot of guys to take care of this offseason, but he's been a monster for them. He's closer to Render's build, like we talked about, with the weight checking in at an even 250, but the production, 19 and a half sacks two years ago, and then eight more this season. And a quick edit here on the podcast as this thing was cut, ready to be published for you guys on Tuesday morning, but J.J. Watt signs with the Arizona Cardinals on Monday morning, so he was number 20 on the PFF Top 150 free agents list for 2021, but he is now signed to the Arizona Cardinals So go ahead and scratch J.J. Watt off the list, who also wasn't going to impact the compensatory formula as he was a player who was released rather than a player who was had his contract expire to sign with a new team. So Watt to the Cardinals. Number 28, Carl Lawson, 262 pounds, long edge defender in that makeup of the guys we talked about on the roster. He plays the run on the way to the quarterback and can really dent the edge as that outside down lineman when he's outflanked by the force defender, the defender responsible for the edge to get things back inside. He really does some good work both against the pass and the run. This market or the market on these guys is going to be steep and this is one of the premier positions in terms of the free agent market the big time dollars and the same is true of the next man of our lit on our list number 31 Jadavian Clowney one of the game's best run defender since he entered the league he plays stand-up edge three-point edge off ball kicks inside as a rusher and when he's on He's unblockable, man. This, he had a game with the Seahawks two years ago against the 49ers where they just had no answer for him. And Pro Football Focus has him as a 95th percentile run defender and 77th percentile pass rusher since he came into the league. Impressive, impressive player. Number 46, bit of a gap there, Yannick Ngakwe. Now he's more of that wide alignment, edge rushing type that gets on you in a hurry, a la a Cam Wake. He's been a big time producer since he entered the league in 2016 as a third round pick. And even in that strange year, last year where he was traded to Minnesota right before the season, then again to Baltimore mid-season, he still had eight sacks, which ties his career low, 45 and a half sacks and 96 QB hits in his five years. Pretty, pretty good. 
Number 55 is Melvin Ingram. Last year, he lost a streak of three consecutive seasons with 70 or more pressures per pro football focus because he missed some time with an injury, played only 396 snaps. He'll be 32 at the start of the season and checks in at 247 as far as his weight goes. Number 57 is Bud Dupree, who blew up with the sack production last year, but it was a lot more than that. You want to talk about defeating blocks. My goodness, he was consistent in all facets of the game. He's a 60-minute car crash and showed a real penchant for flattening once he got around the edge. Then that juice to close in the quarterback, a unique skill set you see in all the great pass rushers. And frankly, I think Dupree's a lot closer to Shaq Barrett's placement on this list from PFF. Number 60, Leonard Floyd. We talked about that buy low, high reward type of player on the interior defensive line portion of this preview pod. Floyd's a good example of Always betting on talent. The former number 11 pick in the draft. First four years in Chicago, he has 18 and a half sacks and 44 QB hits. Goes to LA last year, winds up with 10 and a half sacks and 19 QB hits. Now he's more OLB, outside linebacker, than hand in the dirt type of guy. And what I mean by that is when you think about secondary positions or job duties, he's going to fall into coverage and play off the ball before he reduces inside to play tackle. He's got great a great long arm, a great first step, really impressive pass rusher in Leonard Floyd. Number 61, right behind him, Trey Hendrickson out of New Orleans. He's one of my favorites, Six foot four, 270 pounds on a Saints defensive line littered with pass rushers. We mentioned Rankins, obviously Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport. Hendrickson might have been the best on that defensive line last year. He's got some Trace Armstrong to him who was the same height and just five pounds heavier and he can move for a guy that plays at that weight so you can slant him, stunt him, and get creative. He'll also do his job against the run. Number 75, Matthew Judon from Baltimore. The hits just keep on coming in this loaded edge class. Really curious to see how it shakes out in terms of who gets those top tier, you know, top tier one type of deals on the market and who might wind up as a bargain buy for someone. Judon's more of a stand-up edge defender at 261, and few teams operate more creative pass rush schemes than Baltimore, and Judon's flexibility and ability as a blitzer is a big, big part of that. Number 76, Alden Smith. What a turnaround for him last year after sitting out four years. He returns to the Cowboys to become not just their best pass rusher, maybe their best defender in general. He played 40 snaps in every single game this year. Amazing conditioning for a player without an NFL snap for four seasons and played all over the defensive line and racked up 50 pressures in the process per pro football focus. Let's get through the rest of this group and rapid fire here. Number 89, Hassan Reddick, career resurgence last year, different positions, learned the art of rushing last season en route to a career 12 and a half sacks after having seven and a half sacks his first three seasons. He's played some off-ball linebacker, some edge defender. He was a safety in college as well. Guys played everywhere on defense, but this year at the edge position really kind of found a home. Number 95, Tack McKinley. Number 97, Romeo Aquara. PFS number three graded pass rusher among edge defenders from week 12 on last year. More riches there for the Saints. Number 107, Dietrich Wise, an absolutely underrated cog on a lot of very good Patriots defenses over the years. Plays every damn position, plays three downs, big, long, powerful. He could be great value for someone in this free agency class as he can really dent the the interior part of the pocket as an interior rusher. Number 110, Tyus Bowser, does a little bit of everything, super athletic, had a career-high 14 QB hits last season. And we round out the list here with Justin Houston, Terrell Basham, Olivier Vernon, Jordan Jenkins, and Kerry Hyder on the PFF top 100 potential, top 150 potential free agents off the edge. 
Then we have this draft class that is so very intriguing. Pundits are mixed on who the top dog might be and if there is a top 10 pick in this bunch, but there is a glut of really good players with versatility, rush ability, and traits that will attract different suitors. Quiddy Pay is number one on, on TDN's list here, number 11 overall, 277 pounds, but at that size, he can get some runway and get some absolute explosion off the snap. He should test very well when he does test at his pro day. Jalen Phillips out of Miami vaulted all the way up to number 15 overall. He's got the best arsenal of pass rush moves. He's got counter moves on counter moves that can find a way to beat tackles and route to the quarterback in multiple ways. Number 27 on their list is probably my favorite of the group, Aziz Ojolari out of Georgia. And you watch the way this guy can angle, can flatten, and also defeat blocks. There's a great clip against the Alabama Crimson Tide where Deontay Brown at 364 pounds pulls play side and he goes in there and whacks him, stands him up and beats him en route to a TFL. So Ojalari does a lot of things very well. Number 29, Gregory Rousseau out of Miami. Didn't play this last season, but 260 pounds, six foot five length explosion off the football. Number 46 for them, Joseph Osai out of Texas. This guy could be in that top 25 range as far as draft picks goes. 245 pounds, a great arsenal of moves and he was was highly, highly productive at Texas. Jason Oway from Penn State is the the freak list, man. That, we'll, we'll talk about Bruce Feldman's freak list here on a future podcast. But this guy is on that list because he is explosive as all get out, athletic, and can find different routes to the quarterback. Patrick Jones, number 67 out of Pitt. Overall player, he is the, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth overall graded edge defender on the draft network. And they have several more guys on this list in the top 100. But number 97 is the one I want to point out here. Carlos Basham Jr., Boogie Basham out of Wake Forest, 281 pounds at six foot three. You want to talk about guys that can walk that edge back and play through length and through power and play the run on the way to the quarterback and play that gap integrity defense. This guy is an absolute monster. At one point this year, he had a streak of 23 consecutive games with a tackle for loss. And the next closest streak in the nation was 10 games. He is a consistent producer against both the run and the pass. 97 to me is too low, but that's where he is on the draft networks list. Let's go ahead and finish up this podcast with the linebacker position off-ball linebackers and we start with Miami's group and the production you got from this position last year first time in team history that three players whose primary position is linebacker recorded five or more sacks Jerome Baker led the way and man we really saw his true value last season the speed and the instincts he was such an integral piece of that rush scheme he takes great angles to the quarterback and can get skinny on those a and b gap blitzes where the dolphins love to sneak up everybody into those gaps and put a man in each gap and confuse the opposing quarterback which then after the snap if they are still confused forces them to make a decision before they want to because they get that free run on the a gap which is the quickest route to the quarterback and that's why you saw 55 in around the quarterback on so many of Miami's league best 29 takeaways last season he can run he's fluid with change of direction and he can cover an absolute gem of a third round pick back in 2018 speaking of gem draft picks how about the second year from Andrew Van Ginkle even back to his Wisconsin days I was so drawn to his recognition of play development and coverage he finds proper depth and gets into the passing lanes we saw that on the tipped pick against the Chiefs that wound up in Byron Jones's arms this year and you see that in the way he attacks blockers in the run game an area of focus for him last season was the strength element of his game and he sure came a long way in that department 
And how about number 53, Kyle Van Noy? Such an underrated player and does so many things that don't show up in the box score. He's among the best edge setters in the game against the run. And we've heard Flo talk about how important it is to set the edge in this defense to create opportunities inside. And not only does he do that at a high level, he also rushes the quarterback and blitzes the quarterback and has the same frame of mind in terms of the coverage instincts of a Van Ginkle. That's why he almost never leaves the field. The old hat on the defense, one of the leaders and such a key force for this defense. Staying in that position group, Sam Egwavon has carved out a nice role as a core special teamer and can give you some of that blitz coverage combination when he subs into the game on defense. Then Kylan Johnson is back after a year on the practice squad. He's back on a futures contract. He transferred from Florida to Pitt his final year in college and really saw his pass rush numbers explode. So he's got that same blitzing type of DNA that is just so valuable at the position. Two players from last year's team are scheduled to be free agents when the new league year begins, Elandon Roberts and Kamu Gruje-Hill. As for the free agents from other clubs, once again using PFF's top 150 list, number 8 on their list is Levante David, who's just flat out amazing. No other way around it. The speed and instincts that really drive the position in today's game showed off all playoff run long when he and Devin White were on that defense. Exceptional cover man, great sideline to sideline run defender, and a timely blitzer. He's on the wrong side of 30, but who cares when he's playing at this level like he showed this past season? Some guys just don't slow down at the age that they're quote-unquote supposed to, and he's exhibit A of that. Then there's a bit of a drop-off to number 38 in Matt Milano from Buffalo, and we've seen how good this dude is firsthand two games a year against him. 11th highest graded cover linebacker on PFF last year, and that includes matching up on running backs, tight ends, even the slot receiver at some times. Number 54 is Jayon Brown from Tennessee. He came into the league in 2017, one year before Jerome Baker, and they are similar in their build and athletic ability. Since he came into the league, he's the 10th highest graded coverage linebacker since 2017. And we continue to see how important it is to have those matchup answers. Offenses want to have mismatch creators. Defenses have to counter with freaks of their own, and Jayon Brown is just that. Number 67, K.J. Wright. He and Bobby Wagner in Seattle were the Levante David and Devin White before Devin White exploded onto the scene his rookie season. And Wright and Wagner are like David in that they can both still get it done. Like the others on this list, coverage and second level are his bread and butter, but he also had the eighth overall highest grade among linebackers on PFF this season. Number 96 is Denzel Perriman, and here we get a bit of a detour on this list with a classic downhill thumper. Playing just 317 snaps last year, he earned his career best 86.5 run defending grade and a 74.1 coverage grade, also career best for Perriman. And, you know, we praise the athletic cover guys. That shouldn't take away from the value of a Perriman type who just blows up plays downhill as that B-gap to B-gap defender. Think a Landon Roberts type of player. Both those guys damn good at that job. Number 123 finally on this list is Kevin Pierre-Lewis. 2020 was the first year that he eclipsed 300 snaps as a defender. He's been a special teams ace since he came into the league and can come onto the field as a sub cover guy. And that's it for the top 150. We turn now to the draft class of off-ball linebackers with a Player who could be classified as multiple positions. Again, these positional designations get so tricky with these versatile players, but it starts with Micah Parsons, who's number eight overall on the Draft Network's big board. Six foot two, 245 pounds, recruited to Penn State as a defensive end, pass rusher type. You see the length and the explosiveness in this guy's game. My goodness. There's a rep from his, uh, he didn't play this year, but in 2019, a rep where he had to get to the pylon from the middle linebacker spot, and he beats the running back there and knocks him out of bounds. Just impressive explosion from the sideline to sideline. 
one of the funnest players to watch in this entire draft class. Number 17 on TDN's big board, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa from Notre Dame. He is a safety slash linebacker hybrid who can flat out run and cover and take the football away. Special looking player, top half of the draft, first round draft pick here, according to TDN. Number 24, Zayvon Collins out of Tulsa. You talk about a guy that 260, 260 pounds who can do so much in coverage and is a blitzer, that modern day linebacker in the bigger body build. I'm curious to see how he develops and gets even better in his career going forward. But you watch a Tulsa game, he was all over the field. Number 33 is Nick Bolton from Missouri, 230 pounds, kind of that same frame of mind where he can play multiple roles on your defense. Jabril Cox, same story here out of LSU, number 36 on TDN's big board. And then two more names I want to point out are number 52, Chaz Surratt out of North Carolina. He was, a, again, another one of these former safeties who just runs all over the field and can match up in coverage with multiple guys. And then Baron Browning out of Ohio State. We had him at the Senior Bowl, the Dolphins did, and he did so much good work as an edge defender, playing the run, rushing the quarterback, doing multiple things that way. So again, this entire crop of front seven players, all the flavors you could want, plenty of options, both in tier one, tier two, tier three of free agency. Same story with the draft. Cannot wait to see how it shakes out. We're going to talk about the overall plan, but we're going to go ahead and focus next on the podcast here on the defensive backfield. Plenty more to come on the Drive Time podcast as we preview this offseason right around the corner here for you Dolphins fans and NFL fans. But as for this edition of the Drive Time podcast, we went long today. Let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.